Welcome to the Everyday Ministry Podcast, where a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. This is James White, the pastor at Lighthouse Community Church. and Hey, and I'm Chris Norsworthy. I'm one of the associate pastors at Reformation Church in Louisiana. How's everything going? Everything's going good, man. Just living the dream. <laughs> well, is it a good or bad dream? That's all I need it's to a, know. Yeah, it's a good dream. Nothing really new has happened since the last time we've recorded. So, uh, you know, just doing everyday ministry kind of stuff every day. I understand. Well, <laughs> I mean, obviously, you're not going to talk about every small thing in your life, but I'm <laughs> curious. This whole 36-day mm-hmm. letter thing you mm-hmm. got going on, tell us a little bit about that. There's there's an uh, Instagram account called 36 Days of Type or something like that. Um, so some of my friends were doing it, and I was like, ah, I'll jump on the bandwagon. So basically just a bunch of artists on Instagram. So it's for 36 days. They're creating a, a unique letter of the alphabet every day. So one day everybody does A, one day everybody does B, and you just kind of share it. That Basically, that's it. And then there's the uh, you know 10 numbers zero through nine so that's why it's 36 um so i just did it i thought it'd be fun and rather than watching everybody do it for a month and me not join in i decided to do it and be a little fun exercise to push myself to do something artistic every day not like i don't have other stuff to do because it's my job (laughs) to do artistic (laughs) stuff every day but um yeah it's just something fun well, by the time this episode releases, you're going to be around letter J or K. So I'm curious to see the next 10 or 12 days of that. Me uh, too. My favorite one so far is A, which was Andy off of Toy Story. Um, <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah. I was, really, I was really surprised that was yours, but <laughs> I'm well, I, I'm not going to say why I'm surprised. Because I'm old. <laughs> yes, yes, that's why. It came uh, out It came out in like 1994, right? I think it was 94. So it was like just late enough or early enough. I was, I was nine. Okay. So yeah, that came out right there with your time. Um, so if it had come out maybe like a year or two later, it would have been out of my wheelhouse. Right. But it came out when I was nine and, uh, it was the first full fi- full length, um, featured, uh, computer animated film um so even back then i guess i was paying attention to stuff like that but then also the character i i really re- i really related to the character of andy but also sid <laughs> because, <laughs> because toys nice. aren't real so <laughs> destroying so, <torture> them. <laughs> <laughs> so playing actively with toys the way sid does may be destructive and maybe he had some problems but like in the movie, of course, he's evil, but he doesn't know the toys are real. He's just playing with them creatively. And I I played with my toys creatively as well. I was creative. <laughs> I create things. And sometimes you have to break an egg to make an omelet. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So did you or did you not cry during the third one? Oh, yeah. I, I teared up. You teared but, up? T- well, okay. Once I teared up. It almost got me twice. Once I teared up whenever they were in the incinerator. Yeah. And then secondly, like whenever he tells them goodbye, like that was tough. You know. So are you gonna are you going to have your cowboy hat on when you go and watch the theaters? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was always more of a Buzz Lightyear kind of guy. So no. Okay. All right. I mean I have glass dome on. (laughs) <laughs> yes, so I'll have my wings. But anyway, everything's going good on my end. Uh, like just like Chris, nothing's really changed um, in life. Just still not getting much sleep, mm, and that's just the nature of having a newborn, I guess. But if you haven't noticed already, we don't have Jamie or Daniel on the podcast tonight. But there is a third vo- voice that you're hearing, and I'm going to let Chris introduce him. But I do have to say first and foremost that he is another man with a red beard on the podcast tonight. So I'm excited about that. So Chris, go ahead and introduce our guest. I'm outnumbered. Um, well, speaking of crying, it's hard to introduce Royce because he's one of my longest, he's one of my longest and best friends. So um, I thought it'd be nice to have him come on. We went to uh, 
Christ for the Nations Bible College together all the way back. We started in 2006 in Dallas, Texas, and we were both transplants there. Uh, so, and we were both single. We we met like we were both getting married like the, the summer after our first year of Bible school. Um, so, we were both single mm-hmm. guys, and then um, good times. And then we got married, and then like we all we just like hung out every day for the rest of our lives until we both moved away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Royce, Alanise, would you you could do you have anything to say for yourself? <laughs> my trouble. What do you have to say for yourself, young man? Uh, no, I I appreciate you guys uh, letting me join in and um, just, yeah, have a good chat about some things that I'm passionate about and spent some time looking at. But um, you know, anything I get to do with Chris, I'm gonna jump right on it. So mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Did I talk last time about how I'd just been to Memphis? I the, can't the- remember if it stayed in the recording okay. or not. But I asked okay. you about the. Yeah. Uh, specific artwork you did yeah so the i did the artwork for the with the super soaker the august gun (laughs) Um, that was royce's band okay so since he normally lives 15 hours away from me whenever he was going to be in a city that was five hours away from me i went to see him yeah i understand that um so royce just for the listeners out there tell us a little about yourself where you live what do you do all of that Oh yeah, yeah. I'm uh, currently residing in Des Moines, Iowa. So I'm a northerner, <laughs> Yankee. Sorry, guys. So I'm outnumbered in that way. But lived here for, well, I grew up here. But after Christ for the Nations, um, we moved back here 2010. So I've lived here for uh, nine years and loving it. Um, you know, I um, pretty pretty early on after we moved back, we got connected with a good local church. Walnut Creek Church, um, and we've been, yeah we've been real committed and um, got a wife named Jolie Alanese. She's wonderful and gorgeous and mm-hmm. uh, good good helpmate. And <laughs> just had our fourth child born into the world in <laughs> sep- <laughs> uh, September last year. So she's six months and she's a lot of fun. She's super cute and she breaks my heart every day. And no. yeah, so just, you know, we're doing that. We moved around the same time that our fourth uh, baby came. We moved to a, a little bit closer to downtown, kind of into a or more urban neighborhood for us. I don't know if urban is even a word you use in Des Moines. It has like <laughs> 200,000 people in it, but <laughs> I guess everything's urban here. But um, but yeah, so it's been it's been great it's been a fun journey got good connections here well could you talk a little bit you know just for the sake of the listener maybe a little bit about um since the top given the topic at hand some of your experience uh with um evangelism and uh that kind of thing um and maybe like your future plans there i mean you don't have to go into super detail about it but sure yeah no yeah thank yeah good question um yeah. So, I mean, just joining, we didn't really know exactly what we were going to do when we moved here. Um, we came out of Christ for the Nations kind of thinking we would pursue music. And um, actually, we kind of had plans to to move to Nashville. Um, and kind of last minute, uh, just kind of felt God leading us back up north. So when we moved here, we yeah, we weren't sure exactly what was what was going to happen. But the nice thing is that we got connected with Walnut Creek church pretty early on and um, just built really solid relationships with people pretty quick. And um, Walnut Creek is very, they place place a really good emphasis on evangelism and just share, getting out into the community, sharing your faith. Um, that was a really good, I would say for sure the first couple years were a really good time of growth for us when it comes to kind of getting out of your comfort zone and being intentional with, the community with people in your sphere of influence and, and even going out into public places and um, just kind of being bold and uh, being willing to just basically talk to people and just start conversations. And so it's just, that's, that was a really good experience pretty early on. And I would say after probably maybe three or four years is when I had an uh, opportunity to step into 
more of a leadership role at church. Um, so I took on community group leader type role. Yeah, I would say maybe like 20, maybe 2013 or 14. I'm really bad with dates and years, but um, yeah. And so that's been a really awesome experience and really got, I think that really helped me to grow even closer to the group and to really live more intentionally. And, and that's, that's around the time I think I really started getting deeper into looking at how, how to best share my faith and how to, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of, I think the first couple of years, you know, you just realize all the things that can come up in evangelism and all the questions that people can ask. And so I think I started getting into apologetics probably around that time. And yeah, so since then, I mean, I've pretty much kind of been sticking with the church and doing what we're doing. And then I would say probably over the course of the last maybe two years, I started getting more into um, homeless ministry, um, which is a bit different from your regular, uh, you know, kind of cold turkey evangelism. And that's one of the things that prompted us to move into a more urban kind of inner city neighborhood. I would consider it probably an urban poor neighborhood. Um, closer to downtown, um, a lot of my homeless ministry was downtown, especially in like 2017, 2018. And so, yeah, kind of where we're at right now, we're finally kind of settled into our home and um, still still real dedicated to our community group and looking at how we can just have a presence in our neighborhood and kind of amongst people who kind of, it's a really diverse area. So there's, you know, economically and ethnically, everything's a lot different than where we were before. So that's been a really good um, opportunity, I think, to take a look at our lifestyle and kind of take a look at how we relate to people. And yeah, so that's kind of where we're at right now. It's been, it's been a good journey. Cool. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And one of the things that um, I think is inspiring to me is that a lot of the self-initiated things that you've done where like you took kind of the heart of your church that you're at um, and reaching people and you put it into use in your own unique way. I thought about you and this topic would go really well together. And since, you know, the kind of the podcast is about everyday ministry, it's not just about pastors being pastors or, or anything like that. It's about every believer being a minister. So yeah, so the topic that we're talking about tonight, like I said, is apologetics. So I guess we can dive into the topic if y'all are ready. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. So I mean, I think first of all, we just need to answer the question, what is apologetics? I think most people probably know, but how would y'all define apologetics? Well, I can go first. <laughs> sure. Because when you say y'all, you <laughs> that you means mean you. Y'all too. You mean all three of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> y'all too. Why don't y'all two take a crack at it? Okay. Well, yeah, I would say uh, apologetics is a, it's a branch of Christian the theology. It seeks to provide a, I would say, provide a rational justification for Christian truth claims on like a reasoned, biblical, and evidential basis. And kind of in my experience with it, there's, you know, there's kind of, I would say two main categories of apologetics. There, there would be positive apologetics, which that would be the, the bringing forth of positive arguments and evidence for God's existence and for uh, the truth of Christianity. I and mean, again, that's through, that can be through reason, through um, scripture, just through evidence and there's also negative apologetics, which would seek to provide rebuttals or responses to objections that might be raised against the existence of God or the truth of Christianity in general. Yeah, I, I think it's a great explanation of it. I think we're going to look at it, the question of it being biblical in just a moment. The way you explained it as well, I think that it is this idea of giving a defense of our faith, whatever that defense may be or whatever our approach may be. You know, I, I, I'm yeah. interested to hear you define the approaches those two different ways. Never heard of it in those two ways. Apologetics isn't something that I've dove deep into, but in my understanding, so often we see two different sides of this and generally mm -hmm. called the classical apologetics and the evidential apologetics. But then you also have a few more, you know, the 
exponential apologetics, which uh, from what I can gather of that approach, it's almost like uh, testimonial, you know, uh, of what mm-hmm. you've experienced in life and la- that being kind of your defense of your faith, right. historical apologetics and the presumptual apologetics. So I'm curious to see as we flesh out those two that you mentioned and kind of looking at those in more mm-hmm. detail. Yeah, classical apologetics, evidential apologetics, presuppositional apologetics, I would say, would be kind of the three mm-hmm. more common types that you'll see today being used. So I don't know, I could, if you want, I can kind of define those and then we can kind of jump into the next section. Or Yeah, I mean, those are the kind of the three that I was actually going to plug one of our plugs of the week. My, one was going to be my church <laughs> nice. <laughs> because, because we're actually teaching a class on it right now. Maybe it'd be good for James to watch. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And those were the, I mean, there while there are like a, a bunch of methods or sub methods or whatever, yeah, the three that I kind of talked about whenever I did approach it were classical, evidential, and presuppositional. And I mean, you might be able to define those more concisely than I can, Royce. Uh, yeah, classical would be the the branch that relies pretty heavily on the view that man can, through reason, I would say, and with the help of God's spirit, see the necessity and the evidence for God's existence. So that would be through things like philosophical reflection or, of course, logical argumentation would probably be the more common way that people might have experienced it but and then evidential apologetics is fairly similar to classical in some ways it's a branch that attempts to give persuasive evidences for belief in the christian faith so historical on historical grounds or archaeological even experiential or or even prophetic evidence things of that nature and then there's uh yeah presuppositional apologetics that contends that all people have a a knowledge of God's existence, but because of our sinful desires, this knowledge is suppressed. So any objections that maybe an unbeliever might give are generally more of a mask of their suppressed knowledge of God. And that's a lot of kind of what I've seen of that is based out of Romans 1. Has that been your experience, Chris? Yeah. 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 Um, so you're talking about um, like Romans one eighteen says... Uh, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then verse 20 talks about how the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So that's where kind of like we all have that knowledge, but because of sin, it's been suppressed. Yeah. And you're going to have a lot of crossover between those three. It's not like a presuppositionalist doesn't use logic or, you know, evidence or, you know, things like that. And I mean, just to name a few people who like, if you've heard of any of these people, then you might say like, Oh, okay, this is where they are. Like, Dr. James White or uh, Greg Bonson or Mm -hmm. um, Apologia Studios, uh, Jeff Durbin. Those are Mm -hmm. presuppositional kind of guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Evidentialists, I mean, you're going to have a lot of those. William Lane Craig, Mm -hmm. I mean, he would, right? (laughs) Yeah, he kind of fluctuates between evidential and classical. classical. Yeah, Yeah. and and those two are very similar in a lot of ways, more than presuppositional. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, what's the other guy's name? that uh, He wrote the book A Ready Defense and had campus crusade and all that kind of stuff i forget his name most of apologetics evangelicals would be Mm. familiar with or it's probably going to be evidential answers in genesis those kind of things so would would you say that it because after you name you know most of the people that fall into one form or the other would you say that one's theology would dictate generally which apologetics they fall under it can i mean yeah because Sproul, like R.C. Sproul, who's um, a Calvinist, he's he, he has a whole series on uh, apologetics, and he's classical apologist. So anybody from mm-hmm. Ligonier is probably classical mm-hmm. apologetics. But mm-hmm. you know, there's I think some of the people <laughs> people in the uh, evidential camp are probably Calvinists, and some of the people definitely probably the majority of the people in presuppositionalists are Calvinists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that yeah, I mean, I would think so. I mean, not that. I'm not just naming Calvinists just because I know that there's Calvinists <laughs> in all three versions of that, <laughs> that we named. But I think that presuppositionalism is 
99.9% Calvinists. And then, you know, mm-hmm. but like I said, I think 99% of evangelicals will probably fall into the, maybe I'm wrong, fall into the evidentialist camp. Um, that's the yeah most typical way. Yeah. And Je- Jeff Durbin has a good example of someone who's pretty clearly presuppositional, but in his street evangelism, he'll definitely resort to like logical argumentation mm-hmm. but i've seen him do formal debates where he just presuppositional do there that's right to the chase yeah and i dislike his formal debates a lot <laughs> uh, <laughs> less than the uh street stuff that he does but yeah yeah that that might be a personal issue rather than a theological issue we kind of see the definition of this and then we've looked at the different methods of uh, apologetics but the question i think that we still need to answer and it's probably the most important question of all of them is is it biblical? Yeah, the key kind of apologetic Bible verse comes from 1 Peter 3. And I'll read from the ESV. It says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone. In that Greek word, defense is apologia. So that's where we get apologetics. So always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. I read, I think, 14 through 16 or something. But yeah, First Peter 3, 15 is kind of the key yeah. apologetic verse. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Yeah, okay. so I think we have that verse, and then we have plenty of other examples of the apostles in the Bible stating their case uh, both whenever they're being accused but also both whenever they're going into you know some take an example of like uh, the mars hill where he's where paul's going in and then proclaiming the gospel but he's also he's not just he's relying on scripture he's giving a biblical message but he's also using he's quoting their you know he's quoting their poets he's using their the things that they know to, to break through and help them understand what he's actually saying to them. So that's kind of, I don't uh, would you call that a positive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Positive, a positive, you could even call it evidential or yeah, I would say classical too, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I naturally thought of Paul because, you know, we see other accounts where the apostles address it as well. Even like Stephen in his death, right? He's, mm-hmm laying out the foundation of his faith, but mm-hmm. he's talking to a bunch of Jews, essentially, so right. people with the same background as him, mm-hmm. where Paul is addressing somebody from multiple different areas of life. And so mm-hmm. uh, right. and that's, that's really, that's what we're going to tend to do in apologetics, right, is address people that believe differently than us in a majority of ways. Yeah, and meeting them, meeting them where they're at, I think is mm-hmm. the main thing. I mean, you have Paul reasoning with people where they're at, with the knowledge they have, like said. I mean, even the Jews, when he reasons the scriptures, I mean, he's basically something that's something that they would have been well-versed in, that they would have understood, that he would have had that opportunity to help use the scriptures to help them understand Christ in a way that they didn't before. Yeah. So, and then, I mean, of course, even the Gospels themselves are ruled with Jesus, used evidence and signs Mm-hmm. So even those are real time, obviously they're not, we're not, it's not something that necessarily would have been, you know, examined or falsified or anything like that. But in the moment using evidence and signs mm-hmm. showing that he had the authority to do what he said he would do is definitely a, a, a type of apologetic. Yeah. And even the gospels themselves, how they're written, we typically look, you know, it's like, Oh, Matthew was written to a Jewish people and you know, like that, mm-hmm. those kind of things. They, they were written with, certain people in mind to show mm-hmm. them uh mm-hmm. in their to show them scripturally to show them according to the truth according to the things that actually happen but to show them specifically to those specific people what the gospel was and how they could relate to it and that's yeah. what i mean we could get into the discussion i think of our next point that we wanted to talk about if y'all are cool with that mm-hmm Sure. What role, if any, did it play in your life? Cool. And then we can okay. talk about yeah. more defined uses and purposes. Yeah, I was I wasn't raised in an in an actively Christian home, so discussion about the important life topics like God were essentially non-existent in my home and my family. Um, so for me, it wasn't until high school that I I really on my own started thinking about um, some big existential questions related to purpose and meaning 
meaning and begin to dwell on the idea of death and non-existence or like, you know, what it's like to experience non-being and how would that even work? And so the idea of these things just really staggered me quite often at that age. You just don't know really how to articulate those types of questions Mm -hmm. to people, especially like your parents, if that's never even been something that they've ever expressed interest in talking to you about. So this was also, though, kind of around the time that I came across a Christian youth group. It was in the small town of Winterset, Iowa, where I was going to high school, and uh, they were called the Power Company. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going there. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> why why and, were they called the Power Company? Power, man. They were non-denominational, spirit-filled. Um, yeah. Um, and the font was like lightning font. It was, it was That's great. Awesome. So I, I, um, <laughs> yeah, I started kind of attending there regularly with some friends and all the while I was still pondering those kind of deep, deep questions. And at some point the youth pastor, he started talking about things like purpose and meaning and addressing the matters of death and eternity. And so I just reached a point where I realized that those questions that I had couldn't quickly be reconciled with a purely naturalistic like worldview. Yeah. Uh, but I did discover that they were answered pretty sufficiently um, in theism and specifically in the person of Christ. So it was around that time that I placed my hope and my faith in him. But of course, you know, it wasn't until a lot later in my life that I even realized it would have been a form of apologetics that a role you know, the philosophical reflection side of apologetics played a pretty vital role in my conversion to Christianity. Um, and then, of That's course, awesome. my in, my interest in apologetics as an area of study like didn't take place until, of course, like six or seven years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's interesting to look back and like, wow, that what was going on? Not really realized. Yeah, without realizing what it was. Right. That's cool. It's really awesome because mm-hmm. I. Like, I mean, I grew up in a church. My dad's a pastor. Um, so, like, my whole life was all, you know, my parents, I mean, the Bible and what God would want was part of every decision we made, you know, basically. Right. So, for me, it, it didn't really play a role in my life until, I guess, technically, it's hard to remember the whole timeline because we went to Bible school and then I started working at the ministry that was there. Um, so I think it was after we graduated, I, uh, well, I guess kind of, you know, you brought it up, the, the church that you went to was non-denominational, I guess. And then the school that we went to was charismatic, non-denominational, mm-hmm. um, which I would not self-identify as a charismatic <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so it, it was problematic for me to, to grow up in one church my whole life to be, I mean, my dad was my pastor, so I didn't have, there was no differentiation there. So to grow up knowing one brand of charismatic charismaticism my whole life basically and then to go to a school and there's they were bringing in speakers every week and there was all kinds of stuff going on and you know it just got to a point for me where it was just so confusing um or so maybe demoralizing or i saw so much i saw so much confusion and uh the lack of a standard mm-hmm for what truth was. So I kind of, I got to that point towards the end of, you know, graduating and that kind of thing. Um, my first really coming across apologetics and knowing what it was, was actually in a class in school, but it wasn't called apologetics. It was, uh, like a missions class, but I started after we graduated, I basically kind of stepped, took a step back and was just like, I don't know what I believe anymore. And I don't even know if I believe Christianity anymore, but it was really just the fact that everything I believed was Christianity. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I kind of had to step back in apologetics and we'll kind of talk about the uses tasks of apologetics here in a second. I fall under a different category or a different task because I do believe I was a, I was a Christian. I was a Christian. I just, I needed my faith to be reassured. So I mm-hmm. looked, so I mean, I went and I, you know, I listened and I read uh, deists who came mm-hmm. against Christianity and atheists, like the new atheism moment movement and like read and listened to them. What did they have to say? And, and then listen to people like uh, Tim Keller, Christians who were 
fighting for the faith, you know. Um, and eventually I, I landed back on, or, you know, I landed safely on the foundation of the word of God and the Christian faith as being the truth. Apologetics helped, you know, strengthen my faith and reassure mm-hmm. me that the true parts of Christianity <laughs> are true. <laughs> the yeah, the exactly. Bible is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be our foundation for all knowledge and for all truth. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it played a major role in my life in, mm-hmm. in that way as a believer. Mm-hmm. And James, what about you? Well, so for me, I was much like yourself, grew up in church to some extent, mainly my grandparents, my parents did as well, but not as, you know, not as often as they probably would have liked looking back on it. And so Christianity has always been something in my life. So like for me, I didn't have this moment where I, I really questioned what I believed as a whole. Uh, I knew I believed in, in in Christ, in God. I knew this is where I landed. And I don't know if this would fall under apologetics. Um, probably not, mainly because it's uh, more in the inner circles of Christianity. But what I had to determine for myself last two years of high school and then on after that was really what I believed about God and what his word said about who he uh-huh. is rather than just sitting under the preaching and believing whatever the pastor might have mm-hmm. to say. And so I never had this moment where I had to work through if I believed in something different than Christ, but I did have a moment where I had to kind of solidify what I did believe in Christ and mm-hmm. his word and his truths. Yeah. Well, I think that, I mean, I guess we can go ahead and um, I know our, I have a quote from R.C. Sproul or, you know, basically he divides the tasks of apologetics three different ways. And I guess I'll just kind of paraphrase them. But first he says that apologetics provides an answer to the critics of the faith. So it answers critics. He says, mm-hmm. secondly, that uh, I guess this is more of an offensive type way, but it's a way mm-hmm. of using apologetics to attack unbiblical things that, you know, or structures, uh, whether mm-hmm. societal structures or faith structures or whatever. Thirdly, he says, the task is that it's a it's an encouragement to the saints that it's a way to encourage mm-hmm. believers and royce i don't know if you have anything to add to that yeah for the uses um yeah yeah i agree i think it's uh definitely encouragement for the believer i think we would probably all have the testimony of how um, some form of apologetic has served to affirm our beliefs or or even just help us to restructure our beliefs in a way that provides a more foundation for us. And I would say that is kind of what um, you experienced, James. I, I would say that's a form of apologetic to look at your, you know, your hermene- hermeneutic and build a defense for why your doctrines are what they are. I would say that's very relevant yeah. to apologetics. Because um, there's, I mean, not saying that you were to this extent, James, but there's a lot of people who say that they're Christians, but uh, you look at what they actually believe, and this could go to you know Mormonism or something that far. Not mm-hmm. saying, of course, you weren't that far, but anything <laughs> in between, you know, any, you know, they would say they're Christians or whatever to some degree, or or uh, Roman Catholics who would say that they're Christian, like in the, the Christian faith. Well, mm-hmm. uh, or even you know Baptists or Pentecostals or whoever, like mm-hmm. it, down to the individual. So that's what I meant from the individual yeah. up to the you know a big structure like the mormons uh mm-hmm. you have to make a defense for the faith but you also mm-hmm. have to make you know if it's someone else you have to make an, an offensive argument for the faith mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if it's for yourself then you know you have to teach yourself you know <laughs> and speak the word to yourself and you know reason with your you know use the reason god has given you and, and the spirit to lead you to understanding the truth I mean, that's, it, of course, it's, there's many of, uh, you know, like you said, hermeneutics and those kind of things that go into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to be a multidisciplinary if you want to subdivide it like that. But I definitely think apologetics, I would consider that apologetic. Under the umbrella of encouragement for the saints um, would be things like safeguarding yourself against spiritual, you know, lapse or, you know, backsliding especially in those seasons of spiritual dryness or, you know, desolation Mm -hmm. where you just don't sense God's kind of spirit or his presence and his word, maybe at times doesn't provide as much consolation maybe as it had 
before. Like those are great times where you can lean on your apologetic and kind of fall back on that to safeguard against compromising doctrines, leaving the church or, or at least shortening the amount of time that you're in dryness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, and I think there's a lot of other things that ways that it encourages the believer. And then of course, evangelistically, it, it gives warrant for the unbeliever. So, and I, you know, I would say historically only a minority of people who hear the gospel will accept it. And then only a minority of those people probably accept it for intellectual reasons. Say that the people that do respond to the gospel and apologetics has played a strong role in their testimony. Those people tend to have pretty good influence on the society. Those tend to be the that and maybe like engineers or people in medicine or lawyers or philosophy. Um, and even the young people that are kind of heading that direction, those people can be very influential in shaping the culture. And so that, I'd say that's, you know, that's a very important thing to remember, but it can certainly have its place in everyday evangelism. I mean, even a basic understanding of the arguments and evidence for theism and Christianity can greatly help and sharing the gospel in your own community. So, you know, you don't have to be an expert, but it can definitely still play a solid role, um, especially when it comes to responding to questions that kind of can and do arise in the course of, let's say, a gospel presentation with somebody or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But another aspect I think that's important is the shaping of the culture, because the gospel the gospel's never heard in isolation. I mean, we, we, we always hear the, everyone that hears the gospel, they hear it against the background of the culture that they live in. So a person raised in a culture where Christianity is still seen in a vi- as a viable yeah. option, yeah, they tend to display more of an openness to it as opposed to a person who's been very secularized, you know, maybe someone who's in academia or heavily influenced by the secular pop culture, things like that. So, But I would say in general, you know, the West, Western culture is deeply post-Christian. So it's kind of a pro- it's still kind of a product of the Enlightenment, which kind of the hallmark of the Enlightenment was free thought, you know, or the pursuit of knowledge by means of human reason alone. Mm-hmm. So the, re- the result of that was that theology was not really seen as a, a source of genuine knowledge. That goes back as recently as I would say the 50s or 60s. You know, so then at, at that time, the physical sciences were taken as kind of the final authority to understanding the world around us. So I would say that's still, there's still that residual effect even on today's culture, Mm -hmm. you know? So I would say the broader task of Christian apologetics would be to help create a culture and be sustain a culture in which the gospel can be heard as an intellectually viable option Mm -hmm. for rational thinking people. Maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, that really wasn't um, the case much yeah uh, that's that's a good point i mean i think that probably it's almost it's 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 a defensive it's a defensive move Mm -hmm. in the in the sense that you're taking offensive steps (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah so i would say it was around the probably the 50s or 60s where at least in the philosophy world we as a as kind of the west western um culture started to see more of a renaissance in Christian philosophy. So that mm-hmm. allowed that allowed science to become more open to the existence of at least of the transcendent and hopefully a creator and designer of you know the cosmos. And that yeah, that just in common until that happened. Just so we can give some practical examples, how would we use this in evangelism, Royce? Yeah. Um yeah, I think that's a good question. It's it's kind of a, I would say, a pretty broad question. So I think there would be some things to consider when you're kind of asking yourself how to use it. So you'd want to think about things like, in what setting are you evangelistically? Like, are you just out on the street? Are you somewhere academic, like, you know, college campus or mm-hmm. some, you know, university? Or is it more casual, like at a party or an event or... Or are you in the workplace? Like all those things kind of play a factor into probably I would say ev- evangelism in general. 
but then you also want to look at like kind of what's the demographic of people that you're speaking with you know are they college students are they maybe like kind of lay people or would they be younger like children or older or like you got to think about stuff like that and what's kind of what's your relationship to them are they strangers are they mm-hmm. friends relatives and even things like what's the medium that you're using i mean today i mean yeah there's spoken word and there's like public verbal discussions but there's also social media and there's so many means of presenting the gospel well i just i just call people on facebook socialists and then i assume that they're going to accept <laughs> the gospel based on that perfect that's awesome <laughs> but well but, yeah. let's, let me but, give a specific one and then maybe kind of go from there because uh, yeah, like you yeah. said it is a very broad question mm-hmm. um let's say someone is sharing the gospel with someone that they're began to or they have already had a relationship with and they just believe different things um how would somebody how what would be a way of using this in a conversation like that yeah so you said like a friend or relative someone you're close to yeah somebody you know relatively well yeah yeah i think in those uh situations generally those types of people i mean you're gonna be um spend more time with those people. So opportunities for apologetics, um, depending on, you know, the person's knowledge and understanding of certain things like, you know, science, mathematics, philosophy, like, you know, logical reasoning, stuff like that. It's still a pretty good opportunity because you generally will have a lot more time with that person. Mm -hmm. And you can talk through issues. You can talk through um, different deep, whether it be existential questions that people have, which is fairly common, or maybe they're inter- they have an interest in phil- philosophical matters, or maybe they are into different like scientific type of areas that they're interested in. Yeah, so those are great, and a lot of it just kind of you know, hopefully by the time you're close to them and they kind of know what you're about, mm-hmm. the gospel has already been part of your relationship in some way. Okay. So that, you know, you've, you've shared the gospel with this person. You've tried to move them closer to Christ. Um, but maybe for whatever reason they have objections or they just don't feel convinced or they want more explanation or they want it to feel like it's a reasonable, viable option for them. That's when apologetics can step in and help, help to guide mm-hmm. that person. A lot of people have sincere, genuine objections mm-hmm. to God that, you know, if, if those objections get answered, I mean, there's a, that, that can definitely soften them to the gospel that they've probably already heard and heard you speaking about, you know? So yeah, those are, those are prime. I would say that would be an area where you could share them. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's give another scenario. What about you encounter someone you've never met before? They believe something contrary to your, your belief and you're sharing the gospel with them. You have a you know, limited time for the conversation to unfold, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, if that long. How does apologetics help in a conversation like that? <clears throat> yeah, when it's when it's more in the setting where you're out on the, let's say, out on the street, let, let's say for the purpose of evangelism, mm-hmm. yeah. and you, you meet a stranger and you want to share your faith. In those situations, it it I would say it is probably the goal would be to try to keep the focus on the gospel as much as possible and not allow yourself to go too deep into those rabbit holes that Mm -hmm. people might kind of drive you into by asking a lot of questions. And um, um, so I think that's just where kind of being prepared with responses that are succinct and that can get good, good, quick response to things, but then you can try to steer those back to the gospel and to God and, um, more to issues of the heart, things like that. Well, I think that's where kind of knowing where you're evangelizing at helps as well. Yeah. Like For example, like where I live, I'm not going to search up and get really detailed on the Muslim faith. Right. Because where mm-hmm. I live, there's, there's no Muslims. If any, uh, there may be a few, but if, if any, there's none. I mean, I wouldn't think there's any at all. And so, mm-hmm. but for me in, small town Alabama in the middle of the Bible belt, kind of like we were talking about earlier for myself, you know, as I come out of high school, I would try to, you know, understand how to best um, approach someone that is 
has an understanding of who Christ is, but hasn't truly believed in him, but they may think they have. Yeah. And so I think it's important to kind of know your audience to some some point that you're able to. Now, yeah. obviously, you in a larger city where there's a lot more diversity and things of the such, it would be more difficult to do that. Yeah. Because yeah, I think in the South, you're going to have a lot more people that'll say, or, you know, maybe, maybe older people too, that, um, They'll acknowledge Jesus, but then they're not on the fence about him being the only way to God. Like those, you're probably going to have more of those kind of conversations yeah, or exactly. I believe in Jesus. I'm just not into the whole church thing. Mm. So you're going to have to make arguments for why, you know, you can't be loosey goosey about this. Like, <laughs> like, like Jesus was, you, you have to come across and say, well, Jesus was very definite about what he said. So Either you're going to take the Bible and, and whole and, and believe everything Jesus said, or why are you pretending to believe it all? I mean, not you would literally say that, but you know, like that's <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of focus I think I have mm-hmm. versus being, you know, I mean, I live near Baton Rouge, near New Orleans, that kind of thing. So, I mean, there's, and not just the South isn't all just Bible belt people, but yeah, you know, you'll have people who like, I'll have people say, Oh, well, the Bible is homophobic and sexist and that kind of thing. And they'll mm-hmm. just reject it outright uh, for mm-hmm. those reasons. And then, well, it's like, well, if we're going to get into this conversation, first of all, they're trying to blow you off with making a truth claim. Well, mm-hmm. one, one of the tactics is like, well, have them, if you're going to make a truth claim, you need to defend the truth claim, not mm-hmm. like, not me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, then you can go into conversations about, well, if it's homophobic and, you know, sexist or whatever you're calling it, why does that even matter to you? What foundation are you judging that on? Like, you can get into conversations about that. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why does, do any of these things even matter to you? Mm-hmm. Is it just, you know, arbitrary or is there actual truth? Can we talk about that? Where does it come from? You can have some mm-hmm. of those more philosophical, foundational, moral things, whereas the the other people, the first category, they believe a lot of the same moral things you do, mm-hmm. you know, right? Like the classic 1950s family, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> um, you know, like leave it to beaver type stuff. Like they might be moralistic but, mm-hmm. or, you know, legalistic even, but they're not gospel <laughs> and yeah. That's, yeah. that's the point yeah well i want to ask two more things and then we'll kind of transition towards the end of the podcast you know really when we go back to defining it and looking at the different methods and asking the question is it biblical something that kind of stood out to me in the first peter three fifteen is really the last little statement it says yet do it with gentleness and respect yeah and so uh, i'll ask you guys this is other than the fact that scripture tells us to, why is it important that gentleness and respect be something that we keep at the center of our apologetics? It's kind of funny because I made a joke about Facebook earlier. I was going to transition in and play off the joke, but uh, somebody started talking about something different, so I wasn't able to. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that too is um, – you know, having a good defense for your beliefs and being able to articulate your beliefs well is one thing, but being able to hold a conversation with someone who has, you know, opposing views, who might even be hostile, you know, to your views, who might be coming from a place of just terrible experiences with Mm -hmm. Christians and probably rightly so. I mean, um, we all know that we're not perfect. So, so they're watching what you're saying. They're watching your demeanor. They're watching your attitude towards them. They're watching, is this guy just like to hear himself talk or does he like care about me as a person or is he just trying to win an argument? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I would definitely say there are rules that you'd want to keep to like, keep like being cordial. And, you know, I think a big one is like letting people talk and actively listening to what they're saying. I mean, that is such an important thing when if you if you're interrupting or you're not showing them that kind of like respect like honestly your your arguments in a way just kind of go right out the window mm-hmm. um and it's the same thing with like discounting a person's view by making assumptions about their character or making assertions about why they believe what they believe or what you know 
not really mm-hmm. focusing on the facts or the evidence and the arguments, but trying to make cuts at like, oh, you're just, you know, you just hate God or you're just selfish or you just love your sin or those things can be unhelpful too. They have their place, but um, you just got to be mindful about how you're approaching that type of stuff. And then another big one is showing humility in a way that like, do you admit your ignorance on subjects? Mm. Like someone tells us, bring something up that you don't know about or asking for an answer that you don't feel to give. Like, are you open about that? And are you willing to say, no, I don't, I don't actually, that's a great question. Um, I'll have to think about that more. Are you open to being educated? Do you admit that you have a lot to learn too? And, you know, you can kind of like be on that same playing field with them where it's like, we're both, I, mean, I want to assume that we're both seekers of truth and we both want to understand reality for what it is. And if they get that sense, then I think it really adds a lot to the conversation in my experience. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be another thing I was going to ask you in a minute was what is the importance of admitting that you don't know the answer when trying to defend something, especially when it comes to you talking to someone that knows what they believe on a specific topic. If we act like we know the answer and we're bullcrapping it, then it's going to show and it's going to shut down the conversation. Jesus is the answer. (laughs) Jesus is the answer. That's all you need to know. That's right. Jesus is the answer. All right. (laughs) If I say it long enough. (laughs) Well, I want to ask one more thing, and then, Chris, I'm going to let you transition to the closing, is this. So, and I don't want to get any kind of argument on this, since we're talking about being respectful and Uh all of that. So, where do you line up? Where do you guys line up with your different approaches of apologetics? Go ahead, Chris. I'll go go ahead. Me and Royce actually had this conversation uh well we've been talking through did not end well (laughs) (laughs) we haven't spoken in months (laughs) uh well we've we've been talking through a lot of these things as as i've been teaching through this class but uh you know i i I guess on a theological level i would align myself a lot with the presuppositionalist camp but you know i I think that i I guess maybe call myself a light presuppositionalist (laughs) um because you know you see some people show up and they're at a debate and they're like well well you lost a debate for even showing up because it's like dude what are you talking about like um like you know they just go so far overboard with it and like the kind of presuppositionalist position like as roy said was romans one where people have a knowledge of god but they're basically lying to themselves about it uh and then again in first peter where it says uh honor christ the lord as holy Uh, and they would say well you don't step out of your christian position and if you do step out of your christian position because no one's neutral then you're not honoring christ as holy well i think some people talk a big game about that but then in practical terms it's not necessarily very different than what most other people are doing so i don't want to get out there so i guess what i would say why i'm presuppositionalist is that you know some evidentialists or whatever would say well sure if there was enough evidence i would you know to convince me that jesus didn't rise from the dead i wouldn't believe it i wouldn't go that i wouldn't go that far right so then mm-hmm. that's probably a hardcore evidentialist <laughs> and, and maybe they're not being honest you know, maybe they think they are, but they might not genuinely be. Um, so, you know, I, I guess to say I'm a presuppositionalist, but I'm not like crazy. <laughs> so, but, you know, like Roy said, a lot of presuppositionalists, you'll see them in really most of the arguments they're making. They're preaching the gospel and then they're having conversations with people. And those conversations mm-hmm. involve evidence and philosophy and logic, depending on who you're talking to. So it's like some of these are almost false dichotomies in, in, mm-hmm. in the majority of the way people approach it. I don't think there's that much difference from what the lay, the everyday minister, <laughs> how we're going to approach it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Royce, what you got? Yeah. I, I think I aligned pretty closely with Chris. I hold tightly to what the Romans one in my view of people and how, and how people read and my own um, tendency suppress my knowledge of God for my own gain and my own fleshly desire. So I think I walk with that when I'm speaking to people, but in how I, when I approach people evangelistically, I, I do go more classical or evidentialist. Um, but I think if you, if you approach it 
correctly and well, then your apologetic can serve to help expose people's presupposition. And I think that's a really good use of it. You can manage people's objections and you can provide good, solid arguments that are not easily refuted. Then you can help expose a person if they're still going to continue to, um, you know, deny the existence of God or deny the truths of Christianity, um, then you can kind of start to see like, oh, this person doesn't have a strong basis for their rejection mm -hmm. of God. And it, you can kind of see that suppression of the truth that presuppositionalists hold to. Yeah. So I'm going to sound similar to you two guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to sound like I'm in the kind of the middle and all of it is that I would say I'm presuppositional in the sense of my soteriology because I would say that those who are saved are those who that God has predestined. And when you read through John, specifically John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews and he tells them that they do not believe because they are not his sheep. And so I would say that I'm in that view, in that understanding, because I would say that those that come to Christ are those that he's called to himself and they call him to himself, he's redeemed. But I would say that the other forms of it falls in line with that because they are means in which God can bring individuals to himself. It may be evidential or classical or even experiential, experiential, even that. I mean, you know, though I don't think this should be on number one way of apologetics but uh but when we think of one sharing the gospel with an individual i've known people that come to christ and salvation after hearing the testimony of another um that would fall into that category so i would say though um presupposition presupposition <laughs> it's late it's all right man hey is your wi-fi off oh uh, they're on presuppositional i would say that all of them are useful uh, is really what i would boil down to um, I, I do think there's some dangers in some of the, in every one of them. And maybe we can get back on here and talk another hour about that. Um, but as we come <laughs> yeah. to a close, is there any last thing you want to give us an encouragement or just a exhortation to the listeners? Mine's this, regardless of what your approach of apologetics is, commit to it. If it be approaching those that are in the faith and they need encouragement, to understand what they believe, or if it be those that you're evangelizing and sharing the gospel with, um, find them where they're at and take the gospel to them. Yeah. And I, what I was thinking was that like the work, <laughs> like if you study apologetic, the worst thing that will happen is that your faith will be boosted. You will be able to help other Christians faith to be strengthened and that you will be able to better proclaim the gospel to people <laughs> like mm -hmm. why wouldn't you want to study apologetics and the methods um <laughs> you know it might give you a headache at first if you've never studied it before it might make you frustrated um but that's with anything you know learning an instrument learning how to ride a bike learning how to use a new computer operating system like it, mm -hmm. once you get into it, it you'll realize how much better your life is with it um, so yeah, that's my encouragement and mm. exhortation to, to do it. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah, I like James, what you said about, um, you know, knowing, knowing your, I don't know how you worded it, but it was something to the effect of knowing the people that you're going to be in contact with or the people that you seek to evangelize, um, is really helpful in knowing how you want to approach apologetics, how deep into, apologetics do you want to get into how much time and energy do you want to pour into it um you know, if you have a heart for if you have a heart for the younger college age people like you, it's pretty good i would say it's a pretty good idea to have a pretty good grasp of apologetics mm -hmm. and if you know if you're just a person who like for me like me kind of switching gears over the last couple years and um and giving more time to the urban poor or like homeless demographic. Um, I'm seeing, I mean, I'm, I'm using a lot less apologetics because a lot of them are very open just through life experiences to the gospel. So I think it is a lot about knowing your, I would say your field of influence and 
yeah, it's very important. Well, the reason why that's important, I mean, let's say somebody goes on a, a week or two week long mission trip to China or Russia or wherever the case may be. Um, it would be smart to do some research before you go there to understand the people you're reaching out to and the same thing in our everyday lives. So any plugs of the week? So before we started, I, I, I jokingly uh, or seriously told them I didn't have any plugs. Um, but as we were talking through the conversation, I was reminded, and Chris was the one that reminded me of it, is, and I may be taking his plug here, is R.C. Sproul did a, a teaching series through apologetics. Mm. And I've said this about R.C., and I'll say it again, is that one thing I love about him is that he's so intelligent, but he's able to present things in such a way that anybody can understand it, which is good for me because, yeah, uh, I need that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I would encourage you to uh, find that. I'm sure you could find bits and pieces of it on the podcast on uh, that they have out or you go to their website or or you can purchase the whole thing they have. Yeah, I think it's just called Defending the Faith. Or yeah. it's something it's something like that um yeah my uh i'll, I'll give two recommendations and one because kind of because james brought it up but one is our our church i'm actually teaching through a series on apologetics right now um so if you go to facebook.com slash this reformation um and maybe we'll share it on our page um uh, or maybe a link to the youtube playlist um we actually yeah, kind of go put all of them up aren't you yeah, they're all up. So all the classes are up. Um, so we have some intro to apologetics. We have some topics that we're looking at specifically apologetically uh, and, and some things like that. Um, so and then I would also recommend Apologia Studios or if you uh, just Google search Jeff Durbin. Um, it's a great and I, partly because. I'm recommending partly because I think I know what Royce is going to recommend or might recommend. And then, <laughs> um, and then what James did recommend. So uh, I'm not recommending a book or anything like that. Go look up Jeff Durbin and, uh, and just watch conversations he has with people on the street. There'll be, you know, pastor destroys atheist argument or, uh, you know, a Mormon walks away speechless or, uh, you know, pastor assaulted on the street. Like it's all these kind of <laughs> names cause they want people to click them. Uh, but like, if you want to see practical examples of how to talk apologetically to with people and different kinds of people and people who believe a different variety of things, cause he goes to different areas of the country. Um, just go watch some of those. Some of them are 40 minutes long and he'll talk to 10 different people. Some of them are 30 minutes long. He'll talk to one person or whatever, or, you know, five minutes long. And it's just a short clip of talking to somebody. If, if you just want to see a good practical way of some people doing this, then go watch that. Mm. That's my recommendations. Jeff, Durbin, Mike drop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Chris knows that my favorite apologist is, uh, William Lane Craig, and he's the founder of a ministry called Reasonable Faith, and they have a website, reasonablefaith.org. There's tons of good resources on there. He has podcasts. He has a lot of written work, both scholarly and pop at the popular level. Um, so it's just a great resource. And then he, he wrote a book that's really good for introductory, I would say, apologetics, which is called On Guard. That gives you a really good high level of um, kind of the history of apologetics and its uses, probably a lot of stuff we spoke about tonight. And then also he does get into some of the logical argumentation and the evidence and kind of just a really good entry level book. Yeah. And then the second book is called, uh, it's just called Reasonable Faith. It's the name of his book. And that, yeah, that gets more in depth into the arguments, um, more advanced, breaks down a lot of the premises of the arguments and dive deeper into the philosophy of it and the, the scientific proofs that he uses. So it's good. Cool. Awesome. And he has a really good debate on YouTube with, I like watching debates, but him and yeah. Christopher Hitchens uh, before he passed away. So yeah. Yeah. He's debated Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris. He tried to re debate Richard Dawkins, mm. but Dawkins chickened out and ran away. And it so. was even cool to see him even like with the, someone like William Lane Craig who lectures on apologetics all the time, has books, has a website, the ministry, all this kind of stuff. 
even whenever he was talking with Christopher Hitchens, you know, him w debating, you know, the existence of God or, you know, things like that. Well, this has been another episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast. And thank you for being a guest on here. I think we're going to have one more with you soon as well. Yeah, hopefully I'd, I'd be happy to do it. This has been another episode of the Everyday Ministry Podcast, and we're a podcast where everyday ministers get together to discuss ministry. God bless. If you're encouraged by what you hear, please go like our Facebook page, share the episodes, and rate the podcast on iTunes. Don't forget that a new episode drops every first and third Mondays. Our prayer is that these episodes are an encouragement to you and that you would be faithful in the ministry that God has placed you in. Mm -hmm.